0: You're listening to the Ecclesia of Noonan Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to show your support, to find out more information, check out our website, ecclesianoonan.com. All right, so, um, <clears throat> forgiveness. Maybe not. Hey, yeah, there we go. Bye. Um, I, I feel like that in talking about forgiveness from a pulpit <clears throat> and any pulpit in America, it would be incredibly tempting, uh, and very expedient for us to turn this into pop psychology rather than biblical Christianity. Do you understand? Um, in my first, <clears throat> that was my first week of teaching this week, full week of teaching from Monday, the <clears throat> 12th, and before we start into what we call Trinitarian systematic theology, doctrine of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, we always do about three weeks of a section called Theology of the Gospel, just so that they can understand God, man, Christ response and that sort of construct that you know, Jesus is the blazing center of the whole universe and the Bible and your life and the gospel is important you know what it is before we get into all this sort of you know, other theological stuff, right? All of which is important. But this week, uh, we've been hitting hard on the the way that we should approach life and Bible um, and God, and that is in a God centered fashion. That in fact God is not man centered. In fact, the doctrine of Jonathan Edwards in the first great week. God is, in fact, inherently God's. And God can love his own glory unlike you can love your own glory and it be perfectly acceptable in that regard. <clears throat> this is, these are the doctrines that I cut my teeth on uh, 20 years ago. Um, uh, um, so... Uh, And, of course, when the lights go off in these little teenage minds, some don't go off because they're already there, praise God. And some don't go off because they're lost, right? But when the lights do go off, man, it's just wonderful to see. Oh, this is incredible. This is wonderful for them to see. This is the way life should be approached. And then they realize living and reading and being God-centered, you get your cake and eat it too because you get all the benefits, all the benefits that all there's a man centered view of life is looking for anyway. Don't you? Uh, and so it's, 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 really, really great. So as a result, as I said you know, before, it would be easy to do some pop psychology here and a nice man centered sermon on forgiveness. And that's not what we're going to do. <clears throat> Certainly man is involved in it. Forgiveness requires you as an actor in this grand drama of this thing called life, um, but it's not, um, yeah, uh, it, it, it's not what it's all about. Uh, suffice it to say, we're not going to be talking about self-forgiveness today. Does that make sense? You should forgive yourself. No. Uh, now, do I think that general mental health is good? Sure, I do. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and do I think that, you know, sometimes people are way too hard on themselves than they should be? Sure, yeah, Martin Luther was one, right? Confessing when he had nothing to confess about. Uh, Sure, but no, um, uh, giving a sermon on self-forgiveness is not really what the Bible has to say about forgiveness, the doctrine and practice of forgiveness. Uh, Quite to the contrary. Um, uh, It it, it talks about uh, God and the bad news of of man's predicament in relation to God and then uh, how to forgive one to another. Um, So, let me ask you a question. Uh, I need you to do something for me before we get properly started. Um, and that's this, we're going to pray in just a second. I need you to focus with me and think about two to three individuals that you really need to forgive. Okay. I, I don't mean like forget because forgetting is not forgiveness despite popular belief. Right. Um, two to three individuals that you really need to forgive. It could be a horribly abusive situation in your past. Um, it could be a friendship that fractured and just, just it, it just ended abruptly and immediately and traumatically after many, many years. I don't know what it is. But I'm telling you, when we're moving through the fabric of this sermon, those people need to be rattling around in your heart. Let let the church hear what the Spirit is saying to it is an invitation to say, God, would you convict me of sin and error in my life? Would you, would you shine in your light in places that I act like they aren't even there? Okay, so that's what we're going to do. I want you to right now. Just, I'm going to give you just a minute. We're going to pause. We're going to think about people that we need to forgive. We need to forgive them for what they've done And then you're going to think, where have I been blind and where do I need to ask forgiveness from someone that I have wronged? Where have I been uh, sticking my head in the sand in this particular situation? And no matter how they respond, what is my responsibility before God to uh, not tongue-in-cheek apologize, but literally lay myself at someone's feet and say, I am sorry, I regret what I have done, I have remorse for it, I'm ashamed of it, I've repented to God, and I'm sorry to you, and I need you to know, right? So we're going to give you a minute, and then we're going to pray for those people, okay? Okay. Lord, surely um, people in here before have went through this very simple Christian exercise, um, and that is reflecting over where um, forgiveness needs to be given um, and received. And so um, I pray that you would give to some of those who have done this many, many times before courage again uh, to, in the spirit of Christ, go Uh, and ask for forgiveness, or to go and grant forgiveness freely uh, in their heart, uh, perhaps with or without a conversation. So we pray for your grace and and your help for clarity of thought and and for wisdom. Um, We ask for generous wisdom because we don't have it. And so we need you to give us discernment, help us to make good choices in better judgment, um, and we pray that we would make these decisions thoughtfully, um, in self-denial, for your own glory. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Now, when you, when you go and search the word forgiving in your search engine, whatever that may be, okay, what do you think some of the top related uh, searches are to the word forgiving? Go ahead and take a stab at it. What do you think? Forgiving yourself? Yeah. That's that that's the number one right there, right? We're just playing family feud. You you would have just won the whole thing, right? So what else is there? Forgiving and forgiving? Okay, right. Accepting forgiveness, okay, just Google you're going to Google, you're typing it in, everybody's when when they type in forgiving, what do they type what, what is what is the national conscience in the English language thinking about when they think the word forgiving? Do I have to <laughs> right Forgiving others, forgiving others. um it is. Wiki how, Wiki how to forgive someone. That's great. Of all of these answers, uh, among which there are several that are there and several that are not, sort of in your top you know, seven or whatever that they deliver there, let me, let me point to you about what's not there. What's not there is how do I go ask forgiveness from someone else? Every single entry centers on me. Every single entry is talking about how I grant forgiveness rather than getting it. Every single one. And I went to YouTube and I did the same thing. And guess what? It's the same thing. Every single video is not talking about the individual asking for forgiveness. Confession is not in there. It's not. Why? Narcissism. That's why. (laughs) Just ripe, depraved narcissism. Um, and here's the thing, admittedly, that's not to say that a, a conversation should not be had about us forgiving others. Naturally, that has to be addressed. It's clearly addressed in the Bible, but why is that the number one search? And and, and why can, you know, we're looking for an extinct animal if we're looking for information on how to go and confess properly. That's because of the human condition. Now, here's the thing. You're a believer, but you're not exempt from that perspective. You, You must know that. You, you must not be naive enough. I can't be naive enough to think that you have arrived and that your first thought when it comes to forgiveness is confession to others. Because that's just not the case, guys. That's not how we operate as humans. Even with a new heart, even with a new nature, even with the spirit of God, even with everything we need for life and godliness. That's not generally our first thought. Is eating, you know. Eating pie, crow, right? Taking one for the team. That, th- th- none of those things. Those aren't happening. And, and, and so may we um, live in a manner uh, ready to have a clear conscience before God and man. Acts twenty-four sixteen, where we can uh, properly confess where we need to without turning into uh, sort of an OCD scruple situation. Uh, So let's talk about just a good working definition uh, today, if we can, before we get into the proper topics of uh, forgiveness. So a definition of forgiveness is uh, to put away. And I've, I've defined it like this for 20 years, 15, 20 years now. To put it away, right? That's a simple, simple definition. To put it away, the guilt... And the penalty of sin. That's the quickest, short definition I can give you. When you grant someone forgiveness, you are putting away, uh, it's, that's what you're doing. And in, in effect, you are pardoning someone to the degree that you can. Um, and some of us don't have that. Um, there are seven biblical words used to express forgiveness, seven, uh, and of the seven biblical words used to express forgiveness, they primarily refer uh, to definitions as such: to cover, so you're covering a sin when you forgive someone; to bear, okay; uh, and to pardon. Those are the thoughts: to cover, so when you forgive, you're covering a sin; to bear, okay. Um, you remember that that First um, Corinthians chapter thirteen love. Believes all things, bears all things, hopes all things. That's kind of the idea. You're bearing with one another. That's what forgiveness is. Okay, love never fails, uh, and to pardon. Those are that's kind of the idea between those seven biblical words. Uh, forgiveness is ultimately letting an offense go. It's it's you taking your hands and letting off of it and saying, "I forgive you." Now here's the thing: Can you forgive someone? For something, because so, uh, admittedly, sometimes it's awkward if you go up to someone and say, "Hey, I forgive you," and they go, "I don't know, I did anything wrong, right?" Right? I mean, so so that that, that that's what I'm saying. Uh, a lot of times, especially if it's someone who's lost, uh, you you probably don't need to head that direction. Okay, you need to forgive them in your heart. Okay, a- and say, "I'm sorry," and 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 that face to face meeting is. Probably not going to end well, okay. Even if you're in sackcloth and ash with a shaved head, it's still not going to end up well, okay. Uh, but this is probably what's going to happen: is you're going to forgive that person in your heart, and it will actually be gone. And then what's going to happen is it's going to come back again, and then you're going to hold a new grudge for the same thing. Do you understand? For whatever reason, we think that forgiveness is one and done, and that's the biblical nature of the word, but that's not the way human nature operates. We forgive and re-up consistently. I don't know about you, but I do, right? I put it away. I cover it up. I have no ill will. I have genuinely let it go to the degree that i have and then in my flesh the word flesh is sinful heart then in my sinful heart i need to resurrect it again right and hold on to it tight uh maybe in some sick way to control something that uh, i shouldn't be controlling um, here, 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 here's, here's the thing. Um, and I, I love working the negative principle. It's, it, it, it's such a wise way to, to deal with things and interpretation. And I think that you can deal a lot with it in work. It may come helpful in your workplace, but what I like to do is when I'm like to accentuate a definition. I like to go to the complete opposite of it, right? So what is the opposite? What is the negative principle uh, of, definite, uh, of of forgiveness? What is it? If you grudge, to uh, a grudge or to begrudge, right? Blame, to damn, to condemn, um, to slander. That's right. That's right. Yeah, and, and a whole host of other verbs actually. Um, that that that, that you could think of. Until you have a robust understanding of the doctrine of sin, and the doctrine of sin is referred to, uh, from the Greek word, hamartiology. That's what it's called, okay, the doctrine of sin. Until you have a robust understanding of the doctrine of sin, you cannot properly embrace Christian forgiveness. The word sin, guys... The word sin has been so desensitized in our church culture. I know in my life, personally, the word sin, I have been saying it for so long, oftentimes it just doesn't mean much. But if you call me a criminal, now you've got my attention. Right? Now you've got my attention. Because I, Rachel, am not a criminal. But I am. Do you understand? Now, see that that word brings new meaning. I, every time I sin against someone or against God, and, and, and normally both, I, it is criminal. Sin is in effect crimes against God. That's what it is. Uh, now we have my my heart. Now we've gripped it. You know the whole sin, iniquity, and transgression. You know that's okay. What, whatever. But you call me a criminal? That's not who I am. And then that is exactly who I am. I am at the same time, simul justus et peccator. I am at the same time sinner and saint. Right? In the Latin. Um, but every time I sin, uh, it is criminal against God. That's the reason that we forgive, God asks former criminals and continuing in crimes to forgive other people of crimes too. Or that is to say, in a different way, God calls sinners and saints just like you to forgive others for sinning whilst also they sin themselves. So you see how that works? much less the fact that you're supposed to forgive lost people. Of course you're supposed to give for lost people. They're slaves to sin, Romans chapter 6. They're slaves to it, right? So um, Jesus takes the crimes, though. He, he, he takes all of that, and what does he do? Jesus heaps it upon his head. The stress is so great he's going to bleed in the garden on Thursday night at Gethsemane because he knows what's coming. He knows the fury and the wrath of God is coming on him. He knows what uh, crimes times a billion feels like um, from, from a justice perspective. And he says, well, here, here it comes. Okay, so topic one. Let's get into it. Out of the introduction into the topic. The first point is asking for forgiveness from God asking for forgiveness from God. Um, Our church was, uh, and it still is, a a wonderful little missionary Baptist church kind of in the middle of um, uh, Arkansas, and theologically we probably couldn't be much further apart, to be honest, Uh, but there's a lot of people there that I love very much, and I certainly love their pastor. He's a good man, and, and he knows what the gospel is for that. I'm grateful. Um, there was a group of people uh, who broke off into what we call hyper or ultra dispensationalism years ago, and they started their own church. The search is still alive today, though many actually, as of late, have started let, leaving the church and returning home after more than a decade. Praise God! Um, Maybe even longer than a decade. It may be more like twenty years. Um, but this this thing was in there. <clears throat> a, a, a practice that was in the movement was. You don't have to ask for forgiveness from God because God's already forgiven you of your sin. And that if you, why would you ask forgiveness of God if he's already done that? Isn't that insulting to God? And this was a legitimate position and it was pushing people away from not only repentance, but also confession as if to do it was something that was wrong. It was so bogus and sideways. Um, Of course, God has forgiven you of your sin. Of course he has. Uh, John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, we are he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. It's a very familiar passage. But at the same time, is not Christian confession uh, modeled, exampled, and commanded in both Testaments and Covenants? Well, sure it is. Um, yeah, Jesus has forgiven you of your sins. And and, and yes, 1 uh, John 2. Two Verse 12, I'm writing you, my little children, because your sins are already forgiven for his name's sake. But just because they're already forgiven doesn't mean that you and I don't confess. Uh, I was recently teaching Tariq about confession, and I told her, I said, honey, you're not going to be able to remember it all. But it doesn't mean that maybe you shouldn't try. Does that make sense? Like, you can't remember, I can't remember all my sins from today. I'm not cognizantly aware of every time that I've been selfish throughout my day at the expense of someone else. I don't know about you, right? Um, But I have a very high view of sin, unlike secular humanism, that has a very low or non-existent view of what crimes against God is, right? So, yeah, we take time to confess against God because this is what it does. Every time we confess, it reminds us of how good God is. It also reminds us of the good character of God, that God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, granting iniquity for thousands, but will by no means pardon the guilty. That's Exodus 34, 7. And he repeats the same exact verse in the book of Numbers. This is who our God is. He is a forgiving God. Um, So... Uh, does, which brings us to our next point, uh, does God forgive sinners? A- 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 and the answer is yes. Yes, he does. Um, God, God forgives sinners. Uh, one, 100%. Let's just take a look at it. Um, Psalm 25 verse 11 for your namesake. O Lord, pardon my guilt for it is great. For your name'sake, O Lord, pardon my sin, for it is great. Notice that we've just quoted two verses: one from the New Testament in First John chapter two, and one from uh, our prayer book in the Psalms. <clears throat> and both of them have talked about forgiveness, and both of them, in the forgiving topic, talk about God doing it not for us, but that God would forgive us for His own name. Isn't that crazy? So here we have a pattern, a theological pattern in the Bible where God doesn't, God's forgiveness is not centered on man. God's forgiveness of man is centered in his own glory. Um, we hear the old man John um, praying that in 1 John or, or teaching that in 1 John chapter 2, verse 12. Um, but now we've also heard it here in, in, in the prayer book that, that God would forgive for his namesake why is that wouldn't you think that god would forgive for us instead of anyone else again this goes back to the god centeredness of god isn't it um god invites you to be involved in the greatest thing in the universe and the greatest thing in the universe is not humanity the greatest thing in the universe is god cs lewis uh, talked about this when he said god hates you infinitely god hates you infinitely If he gives you everything in the world, but withholds himself for you, because he is the greatest thing in the universe. But by saying, praise me, praise me, praise me, he invites you to get in on the greatest thing in the universe. And that is the wonderful God and creator and sustainer of the universe. That's a paraphrase, by the way, (laughs) not a direct quote. So God forgives sinners. God truly puts our sin away. Uh, Our prayer book tells us in Psalm chapter 103, verses 11 and 12, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. For as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. We've heard plenty of song on J93.3 about that, haven't we? And yet, as popular as it is, doesn't mean that it's not incredibly true. I need to know about my sin that God has done away with it. And that's where the scapegoat comes in, 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 in the law, in Leviticus, right? Where one is killed and one is sent away. And those are the pictures that you need to see, is that Jesus is able to be and do both in the same. He is able to be your sacrifice completely. And also, he is able to rid you of it and take it away. Um, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 17 says... Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 17. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Our missionary, the Amorovs from Southeast Asia, uh, sent a picture this week and uh, in his monthly newsletter. And the monthly newsletter was a massive festival there uh, that they got invited to where they were going to slaughter a cow, many, actually, um, blood sacrifice to appease the gods, right? And so, um, so many people just went, I'm so sad. Um, But yeah, it happens. And it it happened in Judaism all the time. Um, But those kind of sacrifices, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 17, are not necessary anymore. Right? Why? Because God offers himself uh, in, in the place of what man could never do. Okay? So, so far we've got asking for forgiveness from God. Next we've got God's forgive sinners. We're going to revisit that in a moment. But let's head off to uh, the next thing, and that is uh, forgiving others that have wronged you. Forgiving others that have wronged you. Every time you forgive someone who has wronged you, you preach the gospel to them. In effect, you're at, certainly you're preaching at least a section of the gospel to them, aren't you? And you show them that God is gravely committed to loving his enemies and that you are too. And that, see, the, the church is just like Israel. The church is to be a people that's so holy, so radical, so different, so peculiar, so unique in the workplace, in their relationships in their marriages that when the world looks at, looked at Israel, they were supposed to see a radically different people. They're supposed to look at people who ordered their lives by the law of God and go, who are these people and who is their God? And the same is true for the church today. As we order our lives by God's word, these people are commanded in joy. They're, you know, even in the most difficult of things, they they forgive freely. They don't hold grudges, they love and serve, <clears throat> they lay down their lives sacrificially and they forgive their enemies. Who are these people? They're, they're people cut from the cloth of their God, made in the image of God, um, and full of the spirit of God. <clears throat> so the Bible approaches um, the instruction, listen to me, the Bible approaches the instruction of forgiving others In one way, encouragement, and by another way, threat and warning. So one is an affirmation, a little command, and an encouragement. Please do this. It's called exhortation. The other is threat and warning to sort of get the attention Um, because as a parent, you know that both work, right? Um, Certainly. And so Jesus, in the middle of the very um, controversial Sermon on the Mount, as he condemns sinners of thought crimes and everything in between. He says in that uh, the Lord's Prayer, uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we have all uh, forgiven our debtors. Verse 14 in the same chapter, uh, just one verse down, goes on to say, for if you forgive others trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses Thread and warning God says you need to forgive or you're not going to be forgiven that sounds like conditional salvation to me pastor that can't be the truth <clears throat> that 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 cannot be the truth um, admittedly it's not there is not a works based salvation there's not. But I will warn you that there are many theologians that think that unforgiveness is the sin that leads to death in 1 John chapter 5, verse 16. I'm not necessarily one of them. But there are people who think such. And I think that the principle that we can extract from this while still holding to faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone, right, which we affirm heartily is this. <clears throat> if God has saved you and given you the character of God, if you are a child of God, then you're going to persevere to the end as the Bible affirms all through it. He And he will, by his spirit, persevere you with good works through the end. Then this is what it looks like. It looks like radical forgiveness. This is what a citizen of the kingdom of God looks like. This is what a kingdom ethic in Preston's life looks like. Sermon on the Mount. This is what it looks like. This is it. It looks like incredible, zealous, sacrificial, self-denying forgiveness. Just like God's forgiveness, right? So... um, All, all wrongdoing is sin, First uh, John 5 says, but there is a sin uh, that does not lead to death. It's talking about the differences between the sin that leads to death and the sin that does not lead to death. Uh, in this conversation also comes the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which is not, I don't think, unforgiveness either. I, here, here's my point. For serious New Testament scholars to actually even be entertaining this shows the severity of the tone of unforgiveness in the Bible. And I think that we can all agree with that. That Christians should be people that forgive. They should not be grudge-laden people. They just shouldn't, right? And this is my question today: Do you have a grudge? By the way, a grudge starts with a bad attitude. Did you know that? Every grudge you have in your life, it starts with a horrible attitude. It starts with an un. It starts with you not being thankful. That's where grudges come from. At least it's where it begins, and, and perhaps this is what, <clears throat> perhaps this is what Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount. If you are a merciless person, then you will meet a merciless God. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's the tone. Okay, if your life is utterly dominated by a lack of mercy, then okay, you will meet a God that has none. Right. And this is what the Sermon on the Mount says, right? That people who have the Spirit of God look a certain way. Do we all struggle with not being as merciful as we should? Certainly. But when people think of us, when people think of us, when people think of our conversations, do they think every single conversation that I have with that person, they are talking about a grudge? They have no mercy. What does that look like, right? Now, do we need each other to carry our burdens and the difficulties of life? Sure, we do. But we need to be people that are full of mercy. You and I are are, are commanded in the Bible to absolve, forgive, acquit, clear, pardon those around us of sin and crimes, <clears throat> right? So there's the threat and warning. Now here's the encouragement to forgive. The encouragement to forgive is 70 times 7, right? But how often do I forgive them over and over and over again? You forgive them over and over and over again. Now if you put yourself in an unwise position in that person's life, that's on you, by the way. Forgiveness never said you had to go be their best friend, by the way. And many people are mistaken here. They are mistaken because they think that if you forgive someone, then you must keep putting yourself back in the same vulnerable place as you were before, especially when it becomes to abuse. How foolish is this? This is just unwise. Does the Bible ever call us to be unwise. Does the Bible ever say, ever Bible ever say, um, that you are to forget when you forgive. Does it ever say that? No, it said God remembers them no more. You're not God. And here's the thing. Nowhere in the Bible are you called to do that. You've got pathways in your brain, and they're probably not going to forget them. Will they dull over time? Certainly. But those things shape who you are, right? So just because we're calling you to forgive, and we are, we're calling you to forgive people in your life 70 times seven doesn't mean that you have to be unwise in your position in those situations. You need to walk in wisdom. Or as Jesus told his disciples in ministry, as they went out into what was a very hostile spiritual environment, would you be harmless as doves and shrewd as a serpent? Just be smart, be wise, be obedient, be be harmless, but be wise. Um let's talk again back on this topic which is um, the best and that's uh, well, let's let's get back to God and God's forgiveness um let's look at Nehemiah chapter 9 we've preached through the whole book of Nehemiah not long ago uh, Nehemiah chapter 9 verse 17 uh Nehemiah chapter 9 verse 17 and this is what Nehemiah 9:17 says They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them, but they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and did not forsake them. Let's recap there. But despite all this rebellion, he says, you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and did not forsake them. You have a covenant-keeping God. And because you have a covenant-keeping God, a vow-keeping God, an oath-keeping God, a promise-keeping God, uh, then you have a God of great forgiveness. Because the subjects that he loves are, are, are full of it, and it requires it of him, Right? Consider Jesus on the cross. This may be the very apex of this whole sermon. As Jesus should always be the blazing sinner. Luke chapter 23, verse 34. And here are the men who are the players in setting Jesus on his altar as the knife of divine judgment comes down in his soul. And all Jesus can think about, is what's going to come for these guys that are killing him. <laughs> this, this is the nature, this is the incredible selfless nature of God. You can either laugh or cry, but, you, but it, it, is, it is a phenomenon to see Jesus say, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. It's a phenomenon. But here's the great thing. It is not a phenomenon that cannot be replicated by you. because a few short chapters later, the first deacon of the church was in a hole with stones being thrown at him. And it says in Acts chapter 70 and I, Acts chapter 7 verse 60, and I quote, "And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, "Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he had fell asleep. we have a forgiving God and our God unlike our justice system is all at the same time judge jury and executioner but he didn't lay it on you he laid it on Christ judge jury and executioner and it all got laid on Jesus that's the na- that's the dominant nature of the system and yet Jesus subjected himself to it right so what about what about forgiveness that's just like you're you're happy, you're angry because something's not just and it's not sinful for you to be angry at things that are legitimately unjust that are corroborated by others this is a community-focused injustice in the world, okay? Um, yeah, there's, there, there's nothing wrong with you to be angry about those things, and you as a Christian need to have good and meaningful, healthy conversations with people around you so that you know what the difference between sinful uh, anger is and righteous anger. So we, we don't want you digging yourself a hole unnecessarily. I mean, our sin already does that for us enough, right? We were already in that enough. We don't need anything else that shouldn't be there. So have those conversations with people and open your heart up and say, I'm angry about this. I'm angry about this. And, and I, I, I know that my anger is lit, littered with sin. It's just, it's tainted with it. But help me here, right? And that's what the church is for, the church is supposed to do things in community. That's their job. Um, so, uh, when we're dealing with with you know righteous anger or you know anger that's not righteous, and we're we're angry about things that we shouldn't be angry about, then we're they're sinful. The question here is: Do you trust God? So now we're not talking about righteous anger. We're talking about anger that's unrighteous, which leads to bitterness, which is the worst condition in the world. For any of you who've had your life be bitter for a long time, then you're a friend of mine, and it's a horrible place to be. It's horrible. It's a a horrible way to live. Can I get an amen from anybody? Is it miserable to live that way? God did not intend this. God wrote the manual for us and created us, and our manual says they can't live this way. They can't live. God is generous to you and I to say, forgive, because it is in our bodily and spiritual best interest. So the question of do you trust God is followed by 1 Peter 2, verse 23, which we've already preached in our first letter here, um, and First Peter chapter two verse twenty-three, let me encourage you to write that down if you're taking notes. First Peter chapter two verse twenty-three: When he was reviled, anger; he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Probably we just shouldn't have come in, read that verse, and said, y'all have a great day. Because it really does encapsulate the spirit and the theology of the whole day. Is the example of Jesus and the theology behind it. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He trusted the father. He trusted him rather than being belligerently angry and moving into grudge holding and bitterness that has no end. He looked at God and he said, God, I trust that you know things that I don't know. And I absolutely trust you. Sometimes our judgment will only get us so far. and We have to look at God and say, God, we just trust you. And if we choose not to do that, then we're going to move into places where we can't move. We're going to move into the, the realm of divine knowledge, and you and I don't have that, do we? We just don't. Here's what's so funny about this whole thing of grudge and anger and all this other stuff. Some of you, some of us, rather, are angry about things and sins that didn't even happen to us. We, our, our bitterness, our anger, uh, it, it, it is, it, it's not just limited to things that have been done to us, but we pick up people's uh, people's offenses for them. And then it it continues. Um, I think, I think it's important to mention this just theologically and then we're going to conclude. Um, Jesus' own apologetic to tell the world that he was more than just a good moral teacher was rooted in his ability to forgive sins. And we find that in the place of the story of the paralytic. Mark chapter 9, verses 1 through 8. There's a paralytic. I'm going to paraphrase it for you. And he comes, and he's needing healing. And Jesus looks at him early in the passage and says, "Uh, get up and walk. Your sins are forgiven. And they go, what did you just say? And in effect, he said, oh, I was saying I was God. Right? So the reason that their they're, they're, uh, feathers are ruffled uh because of what's going on here. And Jesus says in verse 5, "For Which is it easier to say, your sins are forgiven or to get up and walk? Which one? Verse 6, But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on the earth to forgive sins, he then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose, and he went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to men. The very apologetic of the divinity of Jesus Christ was rooted in forgiveness of sins. It's significant. It's significant. Lastly, um, this is, this is um, yeah, just medicine for your soul. Okay? Okay. For those of you who are struggling with your own sin and forgiveness and other people's sins, one of my favorite verses in 1 John, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Um, You should live in forgiveness if you struggle with the sin of of unforgiveness by the way if you think that unforgiveness is not a sin you are wrong we don't tend to think in 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 about unforgiveness in terms of adultery and other sins it is a grave sin if you've missed that then I, that is my fault i apologize it is a grave sin and yet if you struggle with it you still have a god who is an advocate for you so so he's written all these things so that you might not sin, so that you might not beat, live in unforgiveness, so that you might not have a grudge. But if you do have a grudge, you have an advocate. You have a savior. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news that God loves people like you and I? God loves people like you and I. And someday um, we will be with him full-time, right? Um and so we shall ever be with the Lord. And the Bible says at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. You won't be, you won't be chasing satisfaction anymore. You'll have it in Christ. Well, guys, I love you. And it's, it's great to talk about forgiveness with you. I, I want you to try to apply some of the things we talked to, to those names that maybe you wrote down or that you first thought of when we started this off uh, today. I want to encourage you not to beat yourself up. That's not going to get you or anywhere else anywhere. Um, you take proactively the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your life and uh, let it lead you to a course of action that's redemptive. I think that that's good, okay? Uh, we're going to take the Lord's table, and I'm going to ask Andrew and Rachel to serve us, please, both of you, if you would, kindly. Um, and I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to be dismissed. Lord, we love you, and we thank you this, that this table is a beautiful, beautiful reminder for forgetful people like us of how much you love us and the great extent that you went to to atone for our sins for the sake of forgiveness. And so, God, I pray that we would tell people about your shed blood for their own salvation and that we would lay down our lives for people uh, in forgiveness, that we would lay down our reputations um, and our comfortability to act in Christian love and forgiveness, um, and in grace and mercy to those around us, God, I pray that this week we could uh, get busy uh, involved in the ministry of reconciliation um, in terms of forgiveness, and I pray that you'd give us help. And we pray these things in Jesus' good name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Ecclesia of Newton Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to show your support, find out more information, or hear more like this check out our website, ecclesiaandnoonan.com.